I first started running about 15 years ago as a way to quit smoking. Back then, my running clothes were very Rocky Balboa, so sweatpants, sweatshirt. Anyone who goes hiking or trail running knows that it's a lot easier and a lot more fun when you're wearing the right gear. Jonji makes performance apparel that'll take you farther on your runs and hikes. They have this merino wool hoodie that I wore on multiple trail runs this weekend. It's soft, it's warm, and most importantly, it does not get stinky when you get stinky. Another reason to love Jonji is that they donate 2% of all sales towards clean water projects, raising nearly $1 million so far. Head to Jonji.com to find your new favorite trail wear, outdoors accessories, and essentials. And use the code OUTSIDE for 10% off at Jonji.com. That's J-A-N-J-I.com with the code OUTSIDE for 10% off. When I was a little kid, my whole family, grandparents included, packed into a Dodge Caravan and went on a two-week road trip to Wyoming. We saw the rodeo in Cody, a grizzly bear in Yellowstone National Park, and an epic thunderstorm near Devil's Tower. On that trip, I fell in love with the West and the natural world. This might sound cheesy, but it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all. Breathtaking hikes, kid-friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Heads up, there are a couple of stray swears in this episode. Okay, here's the show. Hey, this is Outside In. I'm Sam Evans-Brown, and today let's hear from... Hey, Google! Susan Peterson and her daughter. What's the air quality today in Pittsburgh? That's my three-year-old, Stella. It's 6.30 in the morning, and she's hanging out in bed with me while I drink coffee. She's asking our Google speaker about the air quality. Would you like to connect to AirCheck? Yes! Yes! Yes, yes, yes! Let's get AirCheck. The air quality index for Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania is 52, which is considered moderate. Stella asks about the air quality every day, right after she asks about the weather. She learned it from me. Shit! Not allowed to say that. Having a three-year-old can be an unflattering mirror. A mirror of our bad habits, like a potty mouth. But a three-year-old also mirrors our fears, our deepest neuroses. In this case... Hey, Google! My three-year-old daughter is showing me just how far gone I am with something I've been super anxious about for months. What's the air quality today in Pittsburgh? People who have lived in Pittsburgh a long time will tell you the air used to be bad back when the steel industry was booming. The soot and smoke from the mills used to roll in so thick, you'd have to run outside into the yard and pull your wet laundry off the clotheslines. But the old-timers will also tell you that these days, when you look up at the sky, Pittsburgh's clear. So why is my three-year-old asking about the air quality? It's because of me. I've been worried that the air we're breathing in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, might be killing us. This is Outside In, a show about the natural world and how we use it. I'm Sam Evans-Brown. Today on the show, hidden dangers are all around us. Compounds in our water, our homes, our air. We live with these risks, usually without a second thought or even a first one, without considering the cloud of invisible hazards around us. 
But what happens when the invisible suddenly, perhaps painfully, becomes visible? Today on Outside In, a story about clean air from writer and producer Susan Peterson, what it was like to experience industrial air pollution for the first time, and what that told her about the risks she could tolerate and the risks she couldn't. It's a story about what we can do about the air we breathe. Here's Susan. I used to live in Austin, Texas. I lived there with my husband, Sebastian, and we had a good life. We had good jobs, and they paid us well. We had a little 1940 bungalow with wildflowers and a peach tree in the front yard. We even did all the fun stuff you imagine people doing in Austin. We went two-stepping at the Broken Spoke, and we went swimming at Burton Springs. We got margaritas at Julio's every Friday. We had good friends, the kind of friends who let you stay over while you're going through a breakup and hold your legs while you're giving birth. But everything changed when Stella was born. The day she was born, the first thing I remember saying after the doctor pulled my baby out of my body was, It worked. I meant the whole thing. The whole thing had worked from conception to this moment where I had a soft purple new person lying on my belly. All these tiny, complicated, low probability things had to happen in exactly the right order. The whole thing had seemed pretty far-fetched, but now that I'd seen the beginning of life, it was so clear how stupidly easy it would be for life to end. And I realized that even though we had this good life, I was in my mid-30s and I'd never done the thing I dreamed of doing when I was a teenager. I wanted to write. I wanted Stella to know me that way. Like on career day in second grade, I wanted her to tell her class that her mom's a writer. And what if I died before I ever even gave it a shot? And I also really got that my parents were going to die. I'd lived more than a thousand miles away from them for half my life. And now, like a lot of other new parents, I wanted to live closer to them. So I wanted to try to be a writer, and I wanted us to live closer to my parents. And Pittsburgh was the unlikely solution to both of these problems. I got accepted into a writing program at the University of Pittsburgh, and it was only a two-hour drive from my parents' house. Now, coming from Austin, Pittsburgh isn't the most obvious destination. When I was a kid, the only thing my mom ever said about it was, Sun don't shine in Pittsburgh. And let's face it, the word Pittsburgh sounds like the name of a municipal landfill. If we were going to move there, I really had to sell it to myself. And I had to sell it to my husband, Sebastian, too. So I did some research, and I basically turned into a walking Chamber of Commerce promo video for Pittsburgh. Forbes magazine named Pittsburgh a most livable city. They have one of the largest urban tree canopies in the country. There are four seasons and old money cultural institutions. There are over 60 robotics companies. That's so many robots. I made these pitches multiple times a day. And at the end of each pitch, I traced my hand across the horizon like I had a color of the rainbow trailing from each fingertip. Then I'd sing this goofy tagline, In Pittsburgh. Life in Austin 
was good. But Pittsburgh was where I was going to become a writer, where I'd be close to my parents. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania was where I was going to live out my dreams before I died. In Pittsburgh. A few weeks after we moved to Pittsburgh, I'm standing barefoot on the porch of our new house when I first notice the smell. Stella's going to the park with my husband, Sebastian, and I've stepped outside to see them off. I'm about to go back inside when I notice that it stinks out here. It smells like a sun-ripened porta potty Chemicals. Sulfur. Sewage. I walk down the porch steps looking for something that will explain the stink. An exploded trash bag or something. There's no sign of the source, but it's everywhere. The air is a little thick, a little hazy, a little humid. I don't know what it is yet, but I already have this feeling like, oh God, what have I done? Pittsburgh. Hey Google. It doesn't take long to figure out what the smell is. It's a gas called hydrogen sulfide. It drifts in from a manufacturing plant in a small town called Clareton, about 15 miles south, down in the Monongahela River Valley, the Clareton Coke Works. The Coke Works is a part of the old Pittsburgh steel industry. It kind of looks like that old board game, Mousetrap. It's got conveyor belts and chutes carrying materials up and down. Puffing smokestacks, spreading rust, peeling paint. It's got a reputation for violating pollution regulations. Some of the equipment has been around since it was built, in 1955. I've never heard of the thing they make at the plant. Coke. I know it can't be Coca-Cola or cocaine Coke. A few more internet clicks, and I learned coke is the fuel they use in the blast furnaces at the steel mills. To make it, you bake coal in these giant industrial ovens to burn off the impurities. What's left is coke, and you can't really make steel without it. And all those coke oven emissions, all the particles and tar and benzene and the hydrogen sulfide that smells like a porta potty, all that stuff has to go somewhere. And some of it goes into the air around here. When the wind is blowing from the southeast, pollution from the coke works rolls up the river valley and into my neighborhood. The smell wafts through our bedroom windows. It floats in while we're at the playground. It makes me wonder whether I should be going on my morning run. With the porta potty smell drifting in a couple times a week, it's hard not to think about the air. And I do more than just think about it. I talk about it. All the time. And FYI, it's hard to make friends in a new city when your go-to conversation topic is air quality. So I talk to people whose job it is to talk about air quality. I talk to doctors. The way that a lot of pollutants enter our bodies is by using particles as the train. I talk to activists. Higher PM 2.5 exposure leads to basically shorter lifespans. Heart disease, lung disease. I talk to air quality researchers. I mean, the effects are pretty well documented. And I talk to atmospheric particle scientists. Low birth weight, premature birth, different birth defects. It turns out the smell, the hydrogen sulfide gas, 
isn't really what hurts you. It's the thing that gets you to pay attention. When the air smells bad around here, it usually means that plumes of industrial pollution are trapped close to the ground by a weather thing called a temperature inversion. What happens is a layer of warm air settles over the valley like a lid, which traps cooler air and air pollution down below. In Pittsburgh, there are over 150 temperature inversions a year. And when there's an inversion, when you can smell the air, there are usually higher levels of something called fine particulate matter. It's basically just tiny specks of soot, which is one of the most harmful kinds of air pollution. The experts I talk to all call it PM2.5, which means particles smaller than 2.5 microns in diameter. That's small enough that 30 of them can fit inside the cross-section of a human hair. And the tininess is what makes PM2.5 so dangerous. When you breathe, particles that small can penetrate deep into your lungs and pass into your bloodstream. They can also get in through your nose. They travel up the olfactory nerve, directly into your brain. Researchers have known for a long time that PM2.5 exposure causes diseases like asthma and lung cancer and cardiac disease. But newer research has linked it to a very long and very scary and ever-growing list of diseases and health effects, including brain diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. PM2.5 doesn't just come from the coke works. It's produced pretty much any time you burn stuff. Big obvious stuff like fossil fuels and forests, but... Also small, not-so-obvious stuff you burn in your house, like natural gas and birthday candles and popcorn. PM2.5 can also just be dust, like from a construction site or thrown off by passing cars. And it's also produced when industrial emissions like nitrogen and sulfur oxides react in the air. So basically what I learned is that particle pollution comes from everything. It's everywhere. It steals your breath and chips away at your lifespan, and there's no safe level. When it comes to PM2.5 in Pittsburgh, it's nothing like some of the big cities overseas, where you can see really thick smog for a lot of the year. Thanks to the Clean Air Act, the U.S. has cleaner air than a lot of the world. But Pittsburgh does have some of the dirtiest air in the country, and people that live closest to industry are the most exposed. In Clareton, people face more than 10 times the cancer risk from hazardous air pollutants than people living in towns just a few miles away. And Clareton is like a lot of communities near industrial facilities in the U.S. The people who live there are disproportionately people of color and low income. Children are really impacted, too. Every time I smell the porta potty smell, I think about this article I read about how in Allegheny County, we're exposed to 99% more coke oven emissions than the rest of the U.S. The article's mostly about how it affects kids, how their bodies are more sensitive, how they breathe four times more air than adults. There's a photo of the Clareton Coke Works, and then there's another one, a photo of two little girls, both pediatric cancer patients. They're bald, and they're looking out the hospital window over the Pittsburgh skyline. One of the researchers I meet is an immunologist named Dr. Deborah Gentile. We meet up for breakfast at a diner to talk about an asthma study she did in the local schools. 
I recorded our interview with my phone, so the sound isn't great. Um, so you were saying? So we ended up studying about 1,200 kids who are located near Point A lot of the kids in her study lived within a couple miles of an industrial facility, like a coal-fired power plant or the Clareton Coke Works. And what she learned was that the kids had very, very high asthma rates. 22% of them had asthma. That's more than two times the average rate for the state of Pennsylvania. Dr. Gentile grew up an hour and a half west of here, in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. But Pittsburgh has been her home since medical school. She's got family and deep roots here. I'm still picking at my toast when I ask her how she feels about living in Pittsburgh, with everything she knows about the air. I think about it all the time. I think this is really a foolish place to be living. I look in retrospect, I never really... I think this is really a foolish place to be living. She keeps talking but I can't hear anything else. My ears fill with white noise. My skin feels staticky. I'm heavy and boneless, like I'm sinking into the chair. I don't want my stupid toast anymore. And after I leave, her words echo in my mind. This is really a foolish place to be living. And I develop the worst superpower ever. I can see invisible particulate matter pollution everywhere, and it ruins everything good. When the leaves turn in the fall, I can't see the colors. I can only see the leaf blowers blowing particulate matter into the air. When I'm waiting at the bus stop with Stella, all I can see are the tailpipes of the passing buses, exhausting diesel fumes right into her excited, breathing face. At night, I sneak into Stella's room to listen to her breathe. I'm trying to hear the slightest snag or wheezing. I'm imagining the creeping damage to her fresh pink lungs. I'm homesick. I miss our life in Texas. The peach tree, the dear friends, the margaritas at Julio's, and I'm filled with unbearable guilt because I asked my family to leave. My shimmering dream is like every other dream, something you wake up from, in the bed you've always slept in with bad breath and rumpled hair, and your three-year-old asking about the air quality. And I don't know what I'm gonna do. I don't know how to navigate this. What could I do about the air? The questions Susan Peterson started asking and what she decided to do about it. That's coming up after a break. Hey, Nate here. Have you ever dreamed of going on the voyages of some of the most famous and not-so-famous explorers in history? If so, then you should check out the Explorers podcast. Host Matt Breen takes you into jungles and frigid wastelands, across deserts and oceans, and to the top of great mountains as you explore the triumph, glory, and tragedy of each explorer. There are extraordinary stories of Shackleton, Magellan, Cook, Lewis and Clark, and so many other daring people from all across the world and from throughout history. Each explorer's story is told in rich, immersive detail. And each topic is given as much time as needed to tell the whole tale, ranging from 30 minutes to 10 hours. There's something for everyone. Find the Explorers Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or go to explorerspodcast.com to learn more.
This is Outside In. I'm Sam Evans-Brown. Let's pick up the story of Susan Peterson, who moved her husband and three-year-old to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and got a crash course in air pollution and fine particulate matter, and wondered, what was it doing to her family, and what could she do about it? Here's Susan. Okay, I'm recording. I'm at the Upper St. Clair Township Complex. I'm about to go into a meeting. It's with a group I hope can help me learn to live in Pittsburgh. Learn to live with this air pollution. Stella's still asking about the air quality index every day, and Sebastian's exhausted, and I'm frankly miserable. The anxiety I've been feeling isn't like me, and I'm worried that it's way out of proportion. I need some perspective. I'm looking for the multi-purpose room. I've got a mini-purpose. Okay. I find a beige-on-beige room with buzzing fluorescent tube lights and a few people milling around a snack table. Hi, how's it going? I grab a few chocolate-covered almonds then find a seat at one of the folding tables arranged like a squared-off horseshoe. The whole thing has a church social hour vibe until I see what's in this grocery bag with my name on it. Um, I go through it with the woman sitting next to me. Okay. This says CO2 monitor. Okay. The bag is filled with air quality sensors. Okay, these are digital radon detectors. The meeting is with a group that trains Pittsburghers in citizen science. They loan out equipment and teach people to measure air pollution at home. And then there's a Defender sealed lithium battery powered low level CO monitor. The group goes by the name Rockus, like Rockus Noise or Rockus Party, but it's spelled R O C I S. It's an acronym for their full name, which is sort of the opposite of a raucous party. It stands for Reducing Outdoor Contaminants in Indoor Spaces. This better not be too high-tech. So, just to be clear, it's 6 p.m., it's cold and dark, and I've skipped dinner with my family to drive 40 minutes for a meeting with a group called Reducing Outdoor Contaminants in Indoor Spaces. This wasn't what I had in mind when I hatched this move to Pittsburgh, but clearly... I need help navigating this. We go around and do intros, and the church social hour vibe turns a little into a 12-step program vibe. So let's start with you, David. Dave Dave Bernard, I live in Upper St. Clair. I've lived here for 40-some years. I am a 14-year resident of Clareton. I'm pursuing my degree in building performance and diagnostics. I'm just avidly interested and all kinds of good stuff. I purchased a home in Coriopolis a, a couple winters ago, and I, I closed on the house in January, and I was so excited until I, I began to smell these odors. And then it's my turn. So Susan, you're next. So I'm, as a newcomer to Pittsburgh, um, I, um, I'm stammering I, through a simple introduction. And it's, and so it's, so it's. I'm embarrassed that I've been so anxious. Everyone else seems to be sort of well-adapted and curious. I feel fearful and, and it's, fragile and, it's, so it's, and ridiculous. It's really far, but we, mm-hmm. I mean, like, as I don't want anyone to know that I creep around the house, listening to my family members breathe. As the rest of the meeting unfolds, I'm more and more impressed with Rockus. It seems they're trying to address exactly what I've run up against. If you live in southwestern Pennsylvania, if this is your home, and you can't or won't just move away, what can you do about the air? It seems first, you have to understand your exposure, which is complicated. Everyone's specific air pollution cocktail is different. It depends on a lot of stuff, like where you live, or how drafty your place is, or whether you have central air. 
And it's also really complicated and expensive to measure air pollution. It requires special equipment, money to buy it, and knowledge to interpret the results. And then, let's just imagine a person was able to put all that together. There's just not enough information on reasonable, accessible, low-cost ways to address what you find. What even works? Can you clean your air? So Rockus has designed a free program where they set up a three-week training in citizen science and gather local residents together in a cohort like the one I've joined. They lend out air pollution sensors, train people, and help us interpret the data. Then they help us figure out how to reduce our exposure to bad air. And all the while, they're connecting us to the broader network of air quality activism in Pittsburgh, which is extensive and sophisticated. In the last few years, Rockus has offered this training over 40 times to several hundred local people. They're even part of a partnership that distributes portable air cleaners to Clareton residents. So, yes, you can clean your air. Still, there are limits. It's a pretty small initiative, and being part of a cohort is a big commitment. There are meetings, data logging twice a day, uploading. A good number of the people in my group seem to be retired. But I'm glad I'm here. And as I pack up to go home, I notice it's been strangely comforting to talk about air quality for the last two hours. Which is weird, because it's not like there was any good news. We covered particle toxicity and volatile organic compounds and the bad regulatory environment in Pittsburgh. But maybe trying not to talk about it was making me lonely. And on my way home, I feel a spark of something very hopeful and very geeky, like... I'm going to do citizen science. If I ever said squee, the feeling would be something like that. Whoa, that was really loud. The next night at home, I set up all the equipment that came in my grocery bag of air quality sensors. Damn it. We've got sensors for carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, and radon. I sort of feel like I shouldn't be putting it on top of the boiler, but... And then three particle sensors for my favorite pollutant, fine particulate matter. Uh, hey Google, what's the date today? It is Wednesday, the 22nd of January 2020. Once everything's set up, we're supposed to go around with a clipboard and take readings twice a day for three weeks. The idea is that first we observe our air pollution, and then we learn how to reduce our exposure. Yeah, what do you think of my monitors? Good. I want to see number three because I'm three. You want to see number three because you're three? Yeah. Well, let's look for a three. Oh, I see a three right here. 30% humidity. There's a number three. Oh. Yep. The next morning, I go around and take my first readings from all the sensors. When I look at the two particle sensors inside, I don't understand what the numbers mean at first. 497, 511, 549, 511, But on the back of the particle sensor, there's a key that gives me a score. Either excellent, very good, good, fair, poor, or very poor. Inside, our air is in the fair range. It feels kind of like adequate or satisfactory. Three out of five stars. I wouldn't go to that restaurant. When I go outside to the porch, the air has the porta potty smell. I take my first reading from the outdoor sensor. Wow. So the particle counts outdoors right now are 3,000? In the very poor range, which makes sense. 
That day, there's a code orange air pollution alert for Clareton, where the coke works is. And I feel mixed. Partly affirmed, like, okay, I haven't been worrying about nothing. And partly terrible, like, okay, this is really as bad as I thought it was. When the air quality is at these levels, the EPA says it's unhealthy for sensitive groups, which include people with heart or lung disease, older adults, teenagers, children. Which sounds scary, but then I look at the monitors across the river from the coke works, and the levels there were even higher overnight. They were all the way into the range the EPA describes as unhealthy for everyone. When pollution spikes near the coke works, especially during a temperature inversion, it spikes all over town, and we're kind of all in it together. One afternoon, I visit one of the women in the raucous training group, Rashmi Baliga, a grad student from India who studies building performance and indoor air quality at Carnegie Mellon. Her apartment is off a busy road, up on the seventh floor. I actually like it up here. You can like see everything. When I get there, I think I want to ask her a bunch of technical questions, as if more information is really what I need. Forced air is kind of uh, when you have a system that's actually driving outside air into the... But more than her expertise, I really want to know how she copes with knowing as much about air quality as she does. So in India, I come from a very polluted city called Mumbai, so the air quality here is really good as far as I'm concerned. I I wonder, um, do you feel... Does knowing what you know about air pollution and air quality, does it ever, do you ever, do you ever find yourself getting like fearful or paranoid? Not really, because I've had, uh, my grandparents live in Bangalore, which has moderately bad air quality, like definitely worse than Pittsburgh. And they're like 86 and 87. So like, I just feel like, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's health consequences, but it's not like you'll die from it right away. And yeah, it's ideally better, but nothing to be scared of. As I leave Rashmi's place, I think about her equanimity and my total lack of it. It's weird. I tolerate plenty of other risks without freaking out eating potato chips, riding my bike, pesticides on my food, getting into this car. So why does air pollution have such a hold on me? Maybe it's because it's the first time in my life I've had to deal with it. Or maybe it's because it's invisible and everywhere. Or maybe it's because air pollution gets away with it. It chips away at your life with every breath, but you can't name it as a cause of death. Because air pollution is linked to complex diseases that can't really be pinned to a single risk factor. But protecting people from complex diseases that can't really be pinned to a single risk factor, that sounds like a job for government, for regulators. I've been so singularly obsessed with trying to understand this, I haven't even allowed myself to be pissed. And I'm pissed. The Coke Works violates the Allegheny County Health Department's rules several times a day. And they get away with it, in part because the local fines are too low. An advocate told me the county fines U.S. Steel around a million dollars a year. And U.S. Steel just pays it, because it would cost a billion dollars to upgrade the plant. There are federal laws to clean up air pollution, too. But it's up to local governments to carry them out. And big companies are very good at pressuring local regulators to go slow on requiring changes. 
If the governments that are supposed to be doing science and assessing risk and regulating polluting industries aren't effective, it's no wonder I've been completely obsessed with air quality for the last few months. But still, I feel like I can't say with any confidence just how bad the air is around here. It's like I can't trust my senses. The air smells bad, and looks bad, and measures bad. But the regulators just keep letting the coke works break the rules. So it must not be that bad, right? I feel gaslit. A few days later, I'm looking at a chart of all the data everyone in the raucous group has been collecting. The particle counts from the sensors on all our porches. I'm so excited about it, I have to show it to Sebastian. I don't know, so you can like, you can zoom in on this. Did you see that? Yeah, no, it's a good visualization. Also, you can choose between a linear and a logarithmic scale. I'm geeking out. I actually like the linear a lot better. But I'm also starting to feel unstuck. There are a bunch of like regular people in Pennsylvania running around looking at charts of their air quality data. Like, that's amazing. Two weeks ago, I'd never heard of Picacuries per liter. And now, looking at the chart, seeing how pollution levels rise and fall, I feel for the first time like, if I can understand this, maybe I can work with it. I actually feel sort of empowered. And I'm not the only one. At the raucous meeting, now we're all throwing around picocuries per liter and parts per million and parts per billion, like they were our shoe sizes. My lowest was 560 and my highest was 1029. My highest number was 2200. Saturday morning was the high of 11,238. And Linda, the raucous leader, has a lot of ideas for how to deal with our picocuries and particles. Not everyone can afford or access this stuff, but... It seems there's almost always something you can do. If you can't afford an air cleaner, she shows us how to DIY one using a box fan and a filter. And it doesn't cost anything to pay attention to the air quality forecasts and make decisions about when to open and close your windows. As for us, we've got a little induction hot plate that we're using now instead of our gas stove. That costs $60. We also got a couple of portable air cleaners, one behind the yellow chair in the living room and another one upstairs. They cost $200 a piece, and you have to replace the $40 filter once a year. With the new equipment, the house has kind of a new ambiance at night. We're still borrowing the air sensors from Raucous, so they make this low whirring sound. And our new air filters spin up and down in response to pollution levels. And then there's a new blue glow cast by all the indicator lights. It's kind of like the deck of a space station. Sealed off. Conditions monitored. Intake filtered. I'm feeling some relief. And I'm feeling like I have a little bit of control. And I also feel terrible. We've spent about $500, but I feel like one of those billionaires with a New Zealand climate apocalypse bunker. I don't want to be sealed off. I want to be permeable. And it's not only that this spaceship is only for my family. It's not lost on me that plugging in the air filters we have, even though they're Energy Star certified, means there's just a little more electric load on the grid. And that grid includes a coal-fired power plant a few miles east of here, in someone else's backyard. In this way, we're kind of not all in it together. 
the spaceship feels pretty messed up, and I feel like I've done it on someone else's back. But the other way I feel about it is that it takes a long time to become a full citizen of a place, to accept its problems along with its promise. I've been here just a few months, and so I'm trying to follow in the footsteps of people here who know better than I do. People who have been fighting for cleaner air for decades, people who have driven so much change, and learned how families can protect themselves in the meantime. I'm learning to support their activism in small ways, but it's part of a longer, bigger, more complicated story I'm only beginning to understand. So outside, the ultrafine particles are into the high 6,000s, and inside, the ultrafine particles are 200, so that's like a 34-fold difference. I don't want the spaceship, but I don't miss creeping around listening to everyone breathe. Is it going to be summer today? It's not quite summer yet, but it's spring, and it's five weeks into the pandemic lockdown. Stella's school is closed, and she and I have a new routine. We go on a hike every morning. Mom, let's go. Okay. Well, not every morning. We hike the mornings the air isn't too polluted. Why is it sticky right here? It just is. There's some mud. I've actually been pretty calm about the pandemic. Maybe it's because I already burned through my whole anxiety budget for tiny invisible things flying through the air. Or maybe it's because the lockdown feels like an appropriate response to a global pandemic. With the air pollution, I felt like, why isn't anyone doing anything? How are we just standing in line for bagels in this industrial stench and not doing anything? But of course, people were doing something. I just couldn't see it. Now that everything's closed, there's so much I miss about our Pittsburgh neighborhood. I miss my table at the library, the snow pea shoots at the Taiwanese place. I miss the naked ladies in the locker room at the Jewish Community Center. So follow me. Do you see how I'm going to step on these stones? But going on these hikes, we make new discoveries. Magenta magnolias in full bloom, a screech owl in a hollow tree, asparagus growing in a public park. I think... I'm falling in love with Pittsburgh. What are these? Which ones? These ones. Oh, those are dandelions after they have... So they start off yellow, and then when they go to seed, they do this, and you can blow them. Try blowing. (sighs) Blow. (sighs) It's like bubbles. Mm Mm-hmm, it is like bubbles. There's a thing in psychology called shifting baseline syndrome. It describes the way we reset, the way we forget what we were used to and adjust to a new normal. It's one of the ways we're psychologically resilient, but it's also how we get used to circumstances that we couldn't imagine ever getting used to. Like worse and worse wildfire seasons, higher and higher floodwaters, hotter and hotter and hotter summers. It's how we get used to living in a global pandemic, or in a place with industrial air pollution. Our baseline shifts basically so we can survive. It's a good thing to learn to live with something you can't control. But learning to live with it also means you just live with it. 
Here's another one. Right here. Yep. You blow. This episode was written, produced, and mixed by Susan Peterson and edited by Justine Paradise with help from Taylor Quimby, Felix Poon, and me, Sam Evans-Brown. Erica Janik is our executive producer. Special thanks to Aaron Anderson, Rashmi Baliga, Jermaine Gooden-Patterson, Melanie Mead, Matt Mahalik, Johnny Perryman, Albert Presto, Julianne Sato-Parker, Art Thomas, Linda Wigington, Bowen Wong, and everyone in Susan's raucous cohort. Thank you for giving your permission to be recorded for this episode. Outside In is a member-supported show. If you support work like this, you can find a link to donate on our website, outsideinradio.org. Music in the show came from The Joy Drops, Shane Ivers, and Blue Dot Sessions. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. 